Well, church, we made it. Here we are, 2023. It's January. Christmas has come and gone. So here's a, here's a New Year's question for you. What typically happens for you right after Christmas? If we were to take a, a little informal poll, what would you find yourselves doing or perhaps thinking on December 26th? You wake up that morning, Christmas is over, what's on your mind? How many of you would say that your priority post-Christmas is extending this holiday as long as humanly possible? Anybody in that in that category, kids, if you're here, perhaps maybe that involves maximum playtime with toys and all kinds of presents and loot that you got for Christmas. Parents, uh, our grandparents, many of us are thinking about maximizing time with family or time with your pillow, uh, catching up on some rest in the Christmas season. For others of us, maybe it's something more simple, something perhaps like Christmas leftovers. I'm in, that, I'm in that bank. I never met a Christmas leftover I didn't enjoy. Um, on the other hand, some of you are more go-getters, and it's January 26th, excuse me, February, or December. I'm getting old. Thank you. I'm going to take honesty's school of months. Anyhow, some of you are more go-getters, perhaps at December 26th, Christmas just being passed, you're already on to your New Year's resolutions. Now, if that's you, don't raise your hand. None of us want to see it. You'll make us all feel bad. Uh, but there are some, perhaps, who are wired a little differently. It's, it's Christmas uh, p- plus one, December 26th, and, and you're right back in your mind to business as usual. Anybody confess that's how it works for you? Business as usual. Whatever your response is post-Christmas, here's the point. It doesn't stay Christmas forever. Christmas is nothing short of a miracle. It is right that we celebrate hard, that we celebrate long. The, The miracle of God, very God, taking on flesh, coming to borrow Zechariah's words that we read a few weeks back, to visit and redeem his people. you got to ask yourself, after Christmas is over, at some point, where's this thing leading to? What, what comes next? Where is God taking us post-Christmas? Well, we've been working through the Gospel of Luke together, and in Luke's account, God tells us precisely what happens, like chronologically what happens directly after that very first Christmas when Jesus of Nazareth is born. So let me invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2, beginning in verse 22, should be easy to find, 2-2-2, Luke 2, beginning in verse 22. And we'll read this inspired, infallible, inerrant account of God the Holy Spirit to us, penned by the hand of Dr. Luke. Luke 2, excuse me, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father, verse 33, and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Wow. God's word is good. So let's, let's begin where Luke begins here at the, uh, at, for the context of the account he's about to share. Luke begins by setting up some helpful background for this amazing encounter. The occasion here in this passage is Jesus and Mary's purification at the temple. According to the Mosaic law, They were required to bring an offering for Mary after childbirth and a sacrifice for Jesus. A sacrifice was required for every firstborn male born into a Jewish home. This would have happened 40 days, exactly 40 days after birth. So think about this with me for a minute. Jesus, do your math, is less than six weeks old here. We are talking, friends about an itty-bitty baby, less than six weeks old. Now, I know it's not the main point of the passage, but let's not rush by a clue that Luke gives us about Jesus' childhood here. We don't get many about Jesus' childhood, but we find one nestled in verse 24. Look with me here. Verse 24. This should cause us to pause and and linger a bit. You, You see, the law instructed the people of God actually to offer a lamb as a sacrifice for the firstborn male child in every Jewish home. A lamb, that is, unless they were too poor to afford a lamb, in which case a pair of turtle doves or pigeons would suffice. So... Are you tracking with me here? Consider for a moment what's happening. The eternal Son of God, the co-creator of the cosmos, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, is born into a family that is too poor 
to provide livestock for his own offering. I mean, this is, this is, I don't know what this is. This is striking. Do you see here, friends, the humility of Christ? The, the humility and the humanity of Jesus running side by side along one another here in verse 24 as, as Luke details the account of Jesus' poverty. See, friends, how, how low the Most High King will stoop to seek and save his lost people. I was reading in my time with the Lord, uh, just my personal devotional time this week. I'm working through 2 Corinthians, praying through 2 Corinthians, and, and I was reminded of this passage in 2 Corinthians 8-9 as it relates to this, uh, this section of Luke that we're in today. Paul, inspired by the same Spirit, says this about Christ. He said, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor. Why? So that you by his poverty might become rich. You feel this? Jesus, the creator, everything belongs to him. In him, all things cohere Colossian tells us, and yet he's born into a family. It can't rub enough denarii together to put a suitable sacrifice for the birth of this firstborn child. Two turtle doves or maybe some pigeons was all they could muster. We see here in verse 24 of Luke chapter 2, Jesus Poverty, But then look with me here, in this same account, just 10 verses later, we see his poverty in verse 24, but then in verse 34, we also see the opposition that this child is going to face. Luke says, a sign, this child will be a sign that is opposed. And think for a moment with me, just logically. Did Jesus have to put up with opposition? No, right? We should all be shaking our heads. The answer is quite decisive. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Think of his power. Remember when he was standing before Pilate? Pilate says, I got the power to, to kill you. Answer my question. Jesus said, listen, you wouldn't have any power over me unless it was given to you. And by the way, if I wanted to, I could say the word, and my father would send legions of angels. Make no mistake about it. He is a warrior. Why did Jesus, in addition to facing such poverty, allow himself to endure such opposition, verse 34, such mocking, such scorn? You remember the final battle? You know, at the very end. Do you know, by the way, it's helpful to know this. Do you know how all of redemptive history is going to wrap up? After Satan's released from his thousand-year prison, whatever you do with that theologically, 
He's going to muster an army against God's people. They're going to surround the holy city. And it's going to look pretty grim for the people of God in that moment. And Satan, all of his masses, look it up. Revelation 20, verse 9, if you want the exact reference. How does, how does God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, finally vanquish the enemy? Was well, not in some kind of yin-yang, Star Wars, God's 51% stronger than Satan, I'm glad I finally won deal. You know what God does at the very end? He sends out fire from his throne. And in an instant, all the enemies of God are vanquished. You get what we're talking about? Jesus does not have to put up with this. And yet, in order to save you and me, he would, he would put on flesh. He would make himself so very frail and humble, a poor boy, mocked, opposed. These are the words that God has for us to remember the humility of our king. I hope this is instructive for us here as we begin another year in 2023, because Oftentimes, Scripture takes us from a, a truth to application with this phrase, how much more so? Okay, so let's, let's play the how much more so game. If your king, with unlimited power, with unlimited wealth, would make himself poor so that you would become rich, if he would allow himself to be mocked and scorned and opposed, a servant is not greater than his master, correct? Let's, let's think about this application. The, the word of God cues it up for us. This is from Philippians 2. This one should be one of those that we've got on repeat in our minds. I want to encourage you. Maybe, maybe you want to, in 2023, commit this passage, Philippians 2, to, to memory. Paul writes under the direction of the Holy Spirit, Have this mind among yourself. Okay, how are we supposed to think? What mind are we supposed to have? This mind, by the way, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Do you see? The humility of your king. So here's the question. Let's just talk plainly about how we do this truth, how we walk it out in our lives. Friend, are you willing, as we crest the new year in January of 2023, to give up your rights? Really? Are you willing to give up your privileges? Are you willing to give up your resources? Are you willing to give up your time? Are you willing to be considered by the hostile world foolish? As we intentionally, lovingly, courageously carry the message of the gospel forward. 
I don't know what this looks like for you, but, but begin to think and pray. If my king would stoop so low for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of us, should we not also give our time to serve him? Should we not also give our resources? Should we not also be willing as we share the gospel to be maligned and misunderstood? Yes. 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 How much more so? As we meditate on the humility of our king, let's pray this year for his humility, his mind to be ours. We have it. We have his mind through the power of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2 tells us let's, let's walk in humility this year. All right, let's keep, keep moving through our passage. We, we have a certain special someone enter the scene, enter the scene of the temple, Simeon, in this passage, and, and interestingly enough, all we know about this man, all we know about righteous Simeon is right here in this account, and we don't, we don't get much. We actually don't know who he is or even how old he is. We assume he's old because of the promise that he's been given, but you, you can look. It doesn't say anywhere he is. We know Anna's old. But Simeon shows up on the scene. The two characteristics that Scripture does give us about him are first, in verse 25, he's righteous. Which means, in this context, he's, he's morally upright. He's walking a sincere life before the Lord. He's, he's walking a pure walk before the Lord. And he's also, second, second characteristic we get, he's devout, righteous and devout. So he's reverent, he's holding fast to his God. You see a sense of devotion, of commitment to God in Simeon's life. And it's important to know that these words, righteous, devout, they, they don't describe moral perfection. Simeon needs a Savior too. But what they do indicate is a deep sense of godliness. Or to put it plainly, Simeon is serious about his relationship with the Lord. He's serious about his walk with his maker. Now, like all sincere faith, Simeon's faith translates to action. Because faith is not just an internal thing, is it? Our belief always drives our behavior. Look at the end of verse 25. How is Simeon's belief, how is Simeon's righteous, devout character working its way out in his life? Well, really, all we get here is this interesting phrase in verse 25. His action, this is how, how he was applying his faith to his life. He was, quote, waiting for the consolation of Israel. What a beautiful expression. You know, biblical waiting is not the world's kind of waiting. Biblical waiting is not a passive kind of thing where you, you sit by and just sort of let it happen. Now, Simeon, as he's pursuing his Lord, is, is earnestly preparing himself. He's, he's, he's actively waiting. And, and this word consolation, we don't really talk like that, do we? The, the consolation of Israel is another word to say, another way to say, the comfort, comfort, consolation, same thing, of Israel. 
And that phrase is meant to express, it's borrowed from the prophets in the Old Testament, it's meant to express that beautiful fulfillment of the Messiah coming. When will Israel be finally consummated? Well, certainly when will she be consoled, comforted? Well, she'll be comforted when her king finally comes. And this yearning for the Messiah, for God's people to be redeemed and restored, just resonates all through this book, does it not? Matter of fact, you don't have to look very far for examples of God's people crying out, Come thou long-expected Jesus. As a matter of fact, you can just see it a couple verses later, can't you? In verse 38, take a look with me. Anna's response to seeing her king is strikingly similar to Simeon's. In verse 25, we see Simeon's waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting, waiting, longing, yearning. What's Anna doing? Well, after she sees Jesus, she begins to tell everybody. Who she tell? Those who were, what's that next word? Waiting, same word in the Greek, for the redemption of Jerusalem. You see a similarity there? It's almost like God wanted us to see that. Both faithful people here in this Luke 2 temple account. What are they doing? Who are they speaking to? What's their orientation? They're they're waiting. Just give you one other example, because we could be here all day long in the Bible. What's it mean to wait upon the Lord? This is one of my absolute favorites. I love this. From Psalm 130, verses 5 to 7, the psalmist inspired by the Spirit says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. Without a preach, we could just stay there for a minute. In his word, I hope. I wait for him. I wait for him. And then he repeats, my soul waits for the Lord like what? How? Well, just like watchmen for the morning. More than that. More than watchmen for the morning. He repeats, more than more than watchmen for the morning. You, you get this word picture of a, of a watchman on the wall. He's got the night shift, and he's just almost self-willing the sun to break over the horizon. He's desperate for the break of dawn. The psalmist says, that's how how I wait for you, Yahweh. My soul longs for you. That's, That's how we wait for you. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Do you see this concept of our redemption, our salvation, being wrapped up together with this biblical waiting? And I'm convinced that waiting is a critical part of what it means to be a believer. Part of what it means to faithfully follow Jesus is to believe what he said and then to wait faithfully, longingly for its fulfillment. You walk by faith, follower of Jesus, not by sight, which means there's an element of your walk with God that you can't see yet, that's not here yet, that you can't wrap your fingers around and touch And we, like Simeon, like Anna, like all God's people of old, sing, come, 
my long-expected king. You've come once. You've redeemed. Would you come again? Would you make it right? Would you restore and redeem and fix all that's broken? Waiting is a critical part of what it means for us to be Christian. Now, this is what Simeon longed for. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And on a very personal level, this is also what Simeon had been promised. Remember what God had revealed back in verse 26. That he was actually, what a privilege. He was actually going to see the Christ. What's, what's that word mean? The Christ is just the Greek form of the word Messiah. They've been waiting for this guy forever. He was going to see him with his eyes before he died. Think about that. Simeon's longing, his yearning, and now the wait is over. His faith, his, his eager longing has become sight in the presence of this baby Jesus of Nazareth. Before we move on from this waiting, this, this longing principle that we see here in the Bible and all throughout the Bible, really, I, I want us to ask the application question all over again. How might waiting, friend, work itself out? A biblical posture of waiting in your life this week. Well, I love what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4. He's talking about the end. He says, henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also, listen now, this is good news. Not only is Paul getting a crown, also to all who have loved his appearing. Isn't that interesting to you? That the way believers are described here in first timothy or excuse me second timothy 4 8 we're described as those who long for the appearing of christ i'll just ask the obvious question does the shoe fit do you do that simeon's waiting for the consolation of, of israel Friend, are you waiting for your consolation, for the consolation of God's kingdom? You ever think about Jesus coming back? Do you regularly yearn for his return? Does the fact that he said, I'm coming soon, drive you to action? Let's just put the cookies on the bottom shelf. What, what might it look like for us here at FCC, to be a faithfully waiting people. Well, I got a, a list here. Hopefully something clicks. Maybe something will help here. This is a list of four practical ways for you to prepare for Jesus' return. Number one, repent. I need this so badly. I need to wake up every day and recognize my disposition the gravitational force of my life is selfishness. It's going to lead me to spend my resources, to spend my time, to, to, to direct my affections towards things that are not of God. And I need 
to submit again to the Savior and say, Jesus, forgive me. What a wretch I am. Would you grow me in your grace? Would you fill me with your spirit? You want to wait faithfully on the Lord? Step one is repent. Be ready for him. The second step, or another thing that you can do, is to prioritize. What a great thing to do in January. To prioritize the stuff of your life around the gospel. We got some things starting up. I mean, it, it, these, these things don't have to be activities at church, but gosh, we're trying hard to get you involved. We're starting up Wednesday evening programming. This Wednesday, we're beginning to walk through the book of Genesis. What a great opportunity to lean into God's people, to grow in fellowship with one another, to pray. We got a youth group and adult fellowship, and soon, Lord willing, in about another month, um, some of our children's workers are working hard to get programming for kids as well so that on Wednesday, everybody can be here. Our elders were talking. It's not fully baked yet. Don't hold me to this, but our elders were talking in our last MOC meeting about maybe even adding some food into the mix, right? So what we're meant to do is God's people to gather, to grow, to prioritize the things of the king. I feel like I've heard that before. Seek ye first the kingdom. Right? Matthew 6, 33. And then the other stuff will be added to you as well. Let's keep going. Grow. Grow. We just were talking about that, weren't we? Ask yourself, maybe if it's not Wednesday, for a variety of reasons, that might not be what's best for you. How am I going to prioritize growing in my relationship with Christ in 2023? Are you reading? Like, like really? Are, are you reading his word? That's how you do it. We're sanctified. We're grown in the truth. His word is truth. Are you reading? Are you purposing to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus? And lastly, serve. Gosh, we need some help around here. Gosh, our city needs some help, doesn't it? It is not hard if your eyes are open to find opportunities to serve your king. What's waiting look like? Well, I I don't know everything, but I I think it certainly looks like some of this. Let's be people who are waiting, people who are longing and loving his appearing. Okay. One more thing we can't afford to miss about Simeon's life as we return to our text proper is the presence of the Holy Spirit in Simeon's life. Get this, not once, not twice, Three times in this tiny little text, we see evidence of the Holy Spirit all around, certainly around the life and ministry of Jesus, that's a given, but around Simeon. We, almost, we, we know almost nothing about this guy, but what do we know? Man, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit is upon him. He is in communion with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals to him that he's not going to see the Lord's Christ before he dies. He's not, he's not going to miss the Lord's Christ. He's going to see him before he dies. And then I love this, verse 27. It's the Spirit that directs him in the temple to find Jesus. Now, this is one of these places in the Bible. I wish we had some more information. 
I wish we knew how this went down. I mean, people are coming into the temple all the time to do all kinds of stuff. Every firstborn male has to come in at 40 days old, and they've got to do a sacrifice. What was it about this Jesus? About, I don't know who was holding them, Mary, Joe? What, what was it about the family that indicated to Simeon that this was the Christ? I mean, you remember the turtle doves and pigeons, right? I mean, it was, certainly wasn't how they were dressed. Did God, like, form a heavenly arrow out of the clouds in the sky over their heads? Did Simeon hear a still, small voice as he was praying? That's him. That's your, that's your Savior. I don't know. But notice how intimately Simeon's life is woven in with God the Spirit here. Verse 25, verse 26, verse 27. Wow. Make no mistake about it. This powerful encounter is an act of God the Spirit. And what happens next, as Simeon is filled with that same Spirit, is incredible. He takes this six-week-old baby up in his arms, and the result is pure praise, sprinkled with a lot of prophecy, Let's look a bit, a bit closer at this prophecy. One more time. Let's, just, let's, let's see these words. This is what the Holy Spirit leads Simeon to declare. God's people have been waiting for, for this king. And here he is. Simeon, verse 28, takes him up into his arms and blesses God and says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. What's he talking about? His departure is his death. My life is is full. I'm ready, God. I'm ready to go. According to your word. You told me, God, this would happen. Your word always comes true. Verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared in the presence of all the peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory to your people, Israel. Now. I, uh. I thought about seeing who the smallest baby in the room was. I was like doing a little scan. It turns out it's ours. <laughs> Odds are, right? Salem, little Salem over there. Lindsay's holding her. You can do the Lion King thing if you want, babe. You don't have to. There, there she is. Salem's six months old. Now, she's a peanut. She's the size of some, some six-weeks-old babies. She's six months old. I want you to visualize how radical this statement was by the Spirit flowing through Simeon. Six weeks old. Friends, baby Jesus doesn't have neck control yet. I mean, they're cute, these babies, but as precious as they are, they're just bags of skin and drool. They're completely helpless, are they not? At six weeks? Have you seen a six-week-old baby? And Simeon cradles this helpless little thing without neck control, without the ability in his humanness to understand him. And he says, this is where all my hope is. This, verse 30, is my salvation. 
my rescue, my future, my eternity, it's all wrapped up right here in this child. And it's not just my salvation. Did you see what he said later in his prophecy, verses 32 and 33? What's he say? This is the salvation of the whole world. 31, the salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to those lost Gentiles. Raise your hand, that's you, that's me. And for glory to God's people, Israel. Now, what, what Simeon has just done here is encompass the whole wide world. All peoples, both Gentiles and Jews, everyone. This is the Savior. And did you notice the result of this salvation bubbling out of Simeon? Look at verse 29. He said, now that I've seen my salvation, you are letting your servant God depart how? Yeah. Depart in That's what happens when you meet the Prince of Peace. That's what happens when you see salvation for what it is. I heard someone once say, as a result of this little baby, Simeon gets to leave in peace, and we get to live in peace. It's no wonder then. (laughs) What a pronouncement. It's no wonder that in light of this prophetic prophecy by this godly man, Mary and Joseph react the way they do. Look at their response here in verse 33. What'd they do? His father and his mother, give me that word, marveled at what was said about him. I mean, pause for a minute. They've seen some stuff. Would you agree? The virgin has conceived and given birth. I mean, they've they've received messages from angels. All kinds of crazy stuff has happened. The shepherds have been there relating to them the message from a heavenly choir worshiping their baby boy. They've seen some stuff. And yet when they hear the Holy Spirit speak through Simeon, Their response is wonder. That's what the word means. That that word in the original Greek language, marvel, means to be utterly amazed, to wonder, to be astonished. And friends, that is a very appropriate reaction for what's unfolding before them. Because a right response to the wonder of our salvation is just overwhelmed (laughs) how's the apostle paul say it in first corinthians 2 no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man even imagine what god has prepared for those who love him your salvation christian ought to leave you a little whoa Gave Diane Friedrich a hug. What a prayer warrior. Sitting there in the back. Makes me tear up. Faithfully praying for our church. She's on our 
There's a couple prayer chains that Dee sends out. She's on that prayer list just praying, praying for you. You've probably been prayed for dying. You don't even know it. And so much pain physically. It's hard to even be here today. And yet, for sweet saints like Diane, for old saints like Anna, Simeon perhaps, we need to remember that no matter how hard life gets, it's laced with a sweetness because our salvation is just so stinking, overwhelming. They marveled. And I hope every once in a while as we gather to sing about Jesus and open his word together and grow in relationship, there would just be some marveling that would happen here. All right. Simeon has certainly given us a lot to think about, but he's not quite done. One more thing to mention our man Simeon here. last thing Simeon does in his prophecy as he's filled with the Holy Spirit is that he turns to Mary and prophesies some rather sobering words. He says, this child, Mary, is appointed. Now that's a thick word. Appointed. This is no accident, Mary. This child has been specifically ordained, chosen, appointed for a very particular task. My question, what's the task? Look in your Bibles. This child has been appointed for what? Verse 34. Appointed. There's two sides to this. I want you to see. Appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Or a sign that's opposed. So, Simeon just finished saying in the Spirit, Jesus has come for who? Everybody, all peoples, Jews and Gentiles alike. Jesus has come to bring salvation to all peoples. And yet, Simeon hardly catches his breath before he's speaking prophetically and saying, Yet, though he comes for all, not all will respond favorably to his offer of salvation. Yes, some, by God's grace and revelation, will receive the the salvation that he brings. We brought from death to life. It's a miracle. Yet, others will sadly reject him. Sadly, many will be opposed. Those words in verse 34 are interesting. That word fall means literally translated from the Greek to to English, utter collapse. That's what fall means. It's a big fall. It it carries the connotation of, of like a building collapse. That's often what that word is used to describe in that Greek language. A picture of a building just crumbling. That kind of fall. So the result of Christ... Hear this, will be the utter collapse of many. And conversely, aren't you glad there's an other side of that coin? The word translated rising here literally means resurrection. It's the same root word as to be resurrected. So so this Jesus is to be the dividing line between ruin and resurrection. Ultimately, 
there's always and only two responses to this Jesus. I love how the Apostle Peter said, said it in, uh, in 1 Peter 2. Uh, the men were um, working through this passage in a men's breakfast a, a month or so ago. 1 Peter 2, 4-8. to eight. Leave it to, to Peter to use rock language. He says, Jesus is both. You don't have time to look at it. You can look at it if you want. 1 Peter 2, 4-8. to eight. Jesus is both. The Spirit inspires Peter to tell us. The cornerstone. He's the support. He's, he's the structural foundation of everything for those who are saved. And he's also, that same cornerstone is also a stone of stumbling. And I get, get this language. A rock of offense. Almost sounds like what Simeon's saying. Yes, This little baby without neck control in Simeon's arms will be the dividing line between human history, the dividing line between life and death. And here in this profound moment, the Holy Spirit Spirit, through Simeon gives us a hint of the cross to come. The way in which Jesus would accomplish this great salvation, which is why he says to Mary in verse 35, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Here Simeon is alluding to the intense suffering that will pierce through Mary's soul as she watches her son and her Savior accomplish her redemption and ours on that cross. Now, as if this wasn't enough, this is... So much. This is too much for us to really grasp. But, but we see at that very hour in the temple, God sends by His Spirit not just one man, but a pair of faithful witnesses. He sends the prophetess Anna along. Now, for the sake of time, we, we, we can't unpack Anna as fully as I would like to. Maybe we'll save that for another time. But suffice it to say that Anna is no stranger to loneliness. Anna is no stranger to pain. Married seven years and then a widow for 84. Actually, the, the, the Greek language is a bit confusing here. It could either mean she was married for seven years, and, and now she's 84 years, and the rest of them she's spent as a widow. Or it could even mean she's spent 84 years as a widow, which would make her north of 100 years old. We, we don't know. Text tells us she's old. Text tells us she is filled with God, fasting, praying, and seeking Him in earnesty. For the sake of time, just two things, both from verse 38 about Anna. First, when she sees salvation in human form, what's she do? First thing she does is she gives thanks to God, which is why in just a moment we're going to sing that chorus that we often sing around here. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me Thy great salvation, so rich and free. Thanks. That's what Anna gives first to God. And then, 
Immediately after that, what's she do? Verse 38. Well, she starts spreading the word because this news that the Savior is here is just too good to keep to herself. Anna, along with the bunch of shepherds who remain nameless, are like the first evangelists we get in all the New Testament. You run around everybody in the temple, everybody who's longing for, for the Messiah to come saying, He's here. Would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in some of those conversations with that sweet, aged Anna. Friends, may we respond like her. May we respond in kind with deep-seated thanksgiving. And may we, like Anna, share this news with joy. Like faithful Simeon, may those of us who have beheld the Son of God say, I too have found peace. Whether it comes now or later, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to stay. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to do your will, Lord. Come what may. This is what happens when we meet the King. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this remarkable account of this man, Simeon, and this faithful woman, Anna, beholding your son in infant form. God, thank you that through your spirit you reveal to us what our physical, natural eyes could never see. And we pray, Lord, that you would keep us tuned to that same spirit's leading. We, we pray, Lord, we need your help. Would you make us thankful this year? May we carry that kind of joy despite our age, despite our physical ailments, despite all of the obstacles that we run against, God, may we carry that kind of sweetness because we understand the peace that comes when we meet you, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So now we're asking, God, that you would abide in our praises as we sing back to you, thank you for your salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand?